Amen. I love you. <laughs> but you have problems. So do you, yeah. <laughs> and I promise you, Ellen has never said that to me. She could, because anyone you love has problems. Today I'm introducing a new series of messages, and it's not about marriage, although it could be. It's not about relationships. Well, it actually kind of is about relationships. And it's not a patriotic series. We love America, but she's got problems too. It is Paul's letter to someone he loves dearly. It's a church, the Corinthian church. He loved this church. He founded it. He birthed it. And you can read about the beginning of it in Acts 18 and his relationship to them. And, of course, Jesus loved this church as well. He was its foundation, and he died for her. But this church had big, big problems and a lot of them. In the book of Revelation, there's seven letters to seven churches, and Jesus loved every one of them, and every one of them had problems. Every church in the New Testament had problems. So I think we can assume two things as we start this series, two things about Mount Pulaski Christian Church. Number one, Jesus loves us, and number two, we have problems. And many of you would say the same thing, yep, I love this church, but I know it's not perfect, just like you love your kids, but they're not perfect. So we're going to look at these problems facing the Corinthians and how Paul deals with them, and it'll help us deal with problems in the church and in our personal lives, and we should all become stronger and healthier in this process, and it's all to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Now, I want you to imagine this church, wrecked by division, powerful leaders promoting themselves against each other, and each have their own little band of loyal followers. There's immorality. One of the leaders is having an affair with his stepmother. And instead of disciplining him, there are some in the church who are actually boasting of his freedom in Christ. Imagine a church where believers are suing each other in secular courts. Imagine a church where members are visiting prostitutes, and everyone knows it. As a backlash against this sexual immorality, another faction in the church is promoting celibacy, complete sexual abstinence for all. They were in the minority, as you can imagine. So we have terrible immorality on one hand and extreme asceticism on the other hand, plus disagreements over men's and women's roles in the church, even to the point of what women should be wearing in worship and should they be allowed to speak on Sunday morning. I'm going to skip that section. <laughs> Speaking in tongues was an issue and add to that a significant number were actually denying Christ's resurrection. Wow, what a church. And that's not even a complete list. Probably no church today has that kind of conglomeration of issues. But even though we may not find that kind of mosaic of problems in one church, every one of those problems is still around today. And some of them face us here in Mount Pulaski. Martin Luther said, there is not a greater sinner than the Christian church. Well, that's what those Lutherans think of us, huh? Well, actually, he was talking about churches of all stripes when he said that. So I'm going to call this series, I Love You, But You Have Problems. I debated, I could have called this Jesus Dysfunctional Family or Bad Church or How Not to Do Church, but I like this title, God Loves the Church, Jesus Died for the Church in Spite of the Problems. It was founded by Paul about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. It was a dynamic and chaotic church. Paul loved them with passion and exasperation. Can you relate to that? You love anyone with passion and exasperation. I want to show you something that I think the Apostle Paul today might be tempted to say.
Today's reading comes from the book of Proverbs. If I may digress for a moment from my prepared message, I mean it when I say to you, You guys! Sometimes you're bad! Don't be jerks! You're supposed to be good! I'm in my office every day, and somebody comes in, and they're like, Hey, whoops! My don't! Dan, what is your deal? If anybody doesn't know, Dan is the worst. I took a vow to not say who was the worst, but it's Dan. You guys are making me look bad in front of God. What's that? Oh, look, it's Jesus. And he said, Stop it! <laughs> The word of the Lord. I am so tempted to digress right now. But <laughs> Passion and exasperation. I love you, but you have problems. Corinth was the center of travel, both by land and by sea. I think we have a map of Corinth up here. And there it is, and you can see, of course, it has two seaports and then that narrow strip of land. So by land and by sea, it was a major intersection. And so a lot of people are coming and going, and many of influences from the world, and not all those influences were good. So uh, let me give you a, a little overview of this city. It's really like many, many American cities. They were prosperous. Their location brought a lot of commerce and trade and a lot of wealth, but not everyone shared the wealth. So there was a number of poor people. So they have rich and poor. They were independent. The city was founded by people of lower economic scale, and they were looking for new opportunity, much like people when they came to America. So they had this pioneering independent spirit, which can be good and can be bad. They were immoral, drunkenness, sexual diseases, corruption. The predominant religion was the worship of Venus. How do you worship Venus? with one of her 1,000 prostitute priestesses. On the wall of a museum in Corinth had been discovered a large number of clay votives of human genitals that had been offered to one of the gods for healing of that part of the body that had been ravaged by venereal disease. Sex has always been a temptation, always will be. The biggest industry on the Internet today is pornography. They were diverse. In chapter 8, Paul speaks of many gods and many lords. They had Aphrodite, Astarte, Isis, Osiris. We know of at least 26 sacred places devoted to these gods. And on top of that, there was Greek philosophers and some Jews as well. And then, of course, they were religious. So it was wealthy, independent, religious, diverse, and immoral. Sound familiar? One commentator said Corinth was at once the New York, Los Angeles, and Las Vegas of the ancient world. So we're going to read Paul's opening lines to this church. And as I read this, I want you to notice, first of all, how often God and Jesus are mentioned. And second of all, I want you to notice, I want you to ask yourself, does this sound like a problem church? Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be His holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours grace and peace to you from the God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I always thank my God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. For in him you've been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Does that sound like a problem, church? Not a bit. I don't see a hint of problem there. Why? It sounds good because he begins with God. God and Jesus dominate, called by God, the church of God, sanctified in Jesus. In him you've been enriched, Christ among you. What do you make of that? If you're a Christian, it has to begin, it all, it's all about God. I don't care how many problems you have or how many problems a church may have. We've been called by God. We're alive because of God. The church is God's possession. And that means, among many things, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about getting your way. It's all about God getting his way. It's about us being a vertical church, and until we understand that, life is never going to make sense, and life will always be missing something. In Romans 11, Paul wrote, for everything comes from him and exists by him and by his power and intended for his glory. So do what Paul does here. Don't start with your problems. Start with God. Life is not ultimately about financial problems or about relational problems. It is not about anything else the world thinks is ultimately important. It is more important to focus on Him than anything else. He's my priority, not my problems. Now, my problems are real, but don't let my problems become my priority. According to psychologist Dr. Ann Wilson-Shape, she says 98% of us are addicted to something that helps us cope with life. And then Dr. Gerald May takes it a step farther, and he contends in his book, Addiction and Grace, that 100% of us are addicted to something. Most, of course, we don't, we don't see ourselves as addicts, but Dr. May points out that the word addiction comes from the old French word attaché, which refers to a junior member of the government who gets attached to a high-ranking official. And we get attached or addicted to something, and that helps to lessen the pain, lessen the boredom or the meaninglessness of our... It's something to fill us. And I have wondered at times if I am addicted to certain things. There are certain things that are a temptation for me. Food can be an addiction. Kids, family, money, education, TV, exercise can be an addiction. Video games, Facebook, smartphones, whatever distracts us from this inner turmoil or this incomplete... Whatever we're looking to to complete our lives, we are its attaché. We're in its, in its service, and the thing that we're addicted to disrupts and perhaps even displaces God as the center of our lives. The Bible has a word for it, idolatry. AA, step 11 of the 12 steps, says, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. AA recognizes there is no healing and no health until we're in conscious contact. Our attache is Him. So are you connecting with this God through prayer and meditation? It's all about Him. I want this church to get to a point where anyone who sees an $80,000 car thinks, huh, that's nice, but that's nothing compared to experiencing God. And I'm not addicted to that kind of stuff. Or you see a pretty woman. A guy sees a pretty woman go by and thinks, now that could be tempting, but that's nothing compared to knowing this God. I mean, how can there be anything more fulfilling than experiencing this cosmic, awesome being who created us and made us to be in Him? A couple of weeks ago, Ellen and I were watching a special on Mount Everest. It is amazing. I mean, amazing what this world 
this creation is like. But it's not as amazing as this God we worship. And I don't think we'd have to worry about people's church attendance anymore if we actually got the experience of this God because golf would not be near as enticing as God on Sunday morning. Not even close. Video games are not amazing as this God. God becomes my life, not that addiction. A conscious connection through prayer and meditation. It's all about God. Now, what did God do? According to Paul, he formed the church, to the church of God in Corinth. They had problems, but they were still God's. So whenever we criticize the church or get down on the church or quit the church or neglect the church or try to undermine the church, I'd be very careful about that. We're getting on dangerous ground. We're really putting down or neglecting something that God loves. And quitting the church is, in a sense, quitting on God. Whatever you do to the church, just realize you're doing it to Him. And knowing it is God's church and His idea is convicting to me, but it's also comforting. It's convicting because I know I need to love it because God loves it. I should be intimately and intricately involved in His church. I cannot love God and neglect it. It's very convicting to me, but it's also comforting. God is in charge, not me not the elders. He's in control, and Jesus promised His church will not fail, and the gates of hell will not prevail against His church. We will win. We may have some problems. Corinth had all kinds of problems, but it's still God's church. This may be the best contribution that Paul makes in the understanding of the nature of the church. There's more teaching here on the church than any other letter. For instance, the church is God's temple. They were expected to live as God's alternative to all the other temples, pagan temples in their town, and to live as God's alternative to the way of life surrounding them. And we in Mount Pulaski are to be an alternative. We are a temple, an alternative to all the other idols, and there's a lot of idols in this town. We are sacred to God, the church is. Paul says in 3.17, those who would destroy it will themselves be destroyed by God. You be careful how you treat the church because God loves it. It's just like, you be careful how you treat my wife because I love her. You do anything to hurt my wife, I will hurt you. And that is a threat. I'm really a lot tougher than I look. <laughs> the church is the body of Christ, like our physical bodies, one body with many parts to that body, and Christ is the head of it. The church is Jesus' first love. The church in Corinth was incomplete and even a poor reflection of Christ, but they were still His love. They were His witnesses, His hands, His feet, and we are the hands and feet of Jesus in Mount Pulaski and to Logan County and to the world. Let me read some testimonies from people in our church, from some of you. MPCC offered to be an immediate body of believers to belong to. I instantly felt welcome and have made great friends. I value the biblical education, fellowship, and opportunities to serve that are offered to MPCC. I wish everyone could say that. My church and Sunday school renew my spirit every Sunday with God's love, encouragement, knowledge of the Bible, and good friends. Without this, I would be lost in a sea of loneliness. The church has helped our community. This is extremely important to me. Without your prayers and thoughts, I would have been severely distressed on occasion. We have a wonderful congregation. And on and on. Tish Harrison Warren in The Church is Your Mom, I like that title, The Church is Your Mom, writes this, due to our history of anti-intellectualism and individualism, some evangelicals view the church as merely an add-on to the Christian life. 
one of many elective ways to grow in a personal relationship with God. But for most of Christian history, a relationship with God was inseparable from a relationship with the church. Most believers over the last two millennia, Protestant, Catholic, and Orthodox alike, would deem spiritual life without the church as incomprehensible and impossible as biological life without a mother. Impossible. See, America is so independent and anti-institutional. I mean, on the scale of independence versus community-minded, we, way, way, we are way at the end on independence. I don't need other people. I don't need the church. And that world infiltrates your thinking. This individualism and anti-institutionalism is killing the church today. And by the way, it's also killing America. But God is smarter than our culture. And God formed the church for good reason. So let's listen to him. Here's the third thing, verse 7. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back for his church and he'll keep the church firm to the end. And only the church will last forever. A thousand years from today, there will probably not be a United States of America. A thousand years from today, there probably will not be a Microsoft. There will not be an NFL or a Major League Baseball. And a thousand years from today, the Cubs will stop, still probably be without a World Series win. <laughs> a thousand years from today, the stock market will be gone. Even many of our good Christian organizations, I'm blessing, guessing LCU, will not be in existence a thousand years from today. The only institution that will last is the church. Now, this church may not even be around for a thousand years, but a church, the church, will still be alive and kicking and doing quite well. Thank you. Paul's addressing their eschatology, the doctrine of the last days, reminding them that there is a day coming and Christ is holding you firm to that day, which, by the way, this was another problem in Corinth. Some in Corinth thought they were already complete in Jesus Christ, and they had the good life now, and so they were living for this life. We call it over-realized eschatology. Basically, it says, the end is now, and I'm living the good life now. And Paul says, yes, you are living the Christ life now. You do have the Holy Spirit. You have been blessed. And yes, you have gifts that show you have the Holy Spirit, and you are living the spiritual life now, but we're still waiting when that all comes to fruition, completion. He's just reminding them, you have not arrived yet, so don't live for now. Paul reminds them this life is not the goal. Now, I have a string, string up here, and I too, need two volunteers to, to stretch this string out, so come on up. Need someone else? I want you to go over to that door, okay? Just pull it. I need another volunteer. Come on. Come on, Dad. Oh, here, I've got three volunteers now. I want you to go that way. I want you to go to Chestnut, okay? <laughs> it, should, it should unwrap. Now, what I want this string to do, hold it up so I can uh, play with it here a little bit. Um, now, this symbolizes eternity. Now, if we really wanted to symbolize eternity, uh, you would have to go to Chestnut because that's the end of the world, right? No. <laughs> Uh, go to Elkhart, you know, go to Chestnut. I got the directions right. And, uh, but that wouldn't be eternity. Go to the end of Illinois. Go to the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean. Go around the world. Go, go to the moon. 
go to the nearest star, go, go to the end of the galaxy. How long is eternity? Yeah, yeah, we cannot imagine it. And my lifespan is probably about this. It's actually less than that in comparison. And so I have to ask myself, okay, am I going to live for this life and try to get all, grab all the gusto that I can? Or am I going to sacrifice some in this life and live for something bigger? Something a little longer, a little more meaningful. I think, thank you. You can just put it down. I'll pick it up later. Thank you very much. I, that's one thing we have got. And I know some of you have seen that illustration before. And all, but to me, it's just a good reminder, a good visible reminder. Don't get so hung up in living for this earthly life. You know, you see things. A thousand places to see before you die. Baloney. Why are you living for this life? Paul here says, you eagerly wait. I'm not sure they were eagerly waiting. I think he's kind of using, you know, he, he, they should be eagerly waiting. And I'm not sure we're all eagerly awaiting this coming, coming. We should, but it's hard. It's harder when you're younger and it's harder when you're wealthy. I'm not younger, but I'm pretty wealthy. I'm richer than probably 90% of the world, people in this world. And the richer you are and the younger you are, the more you're going to be tempted to live for this life. Don't do it. And then Paul says, this church, which is anything but blameless, will be blameless in the end. And Christ will make us fully holy. I, I can't wait. I cannot wait to be fully whole, finally. So what he's saying, climb aboard the church and ride it into eternity. Don't play church. Don't just attend church. Climb aboard. Get involved. Build relationships. Serve. Advance the kingdom. We are His army advancing His kingdom. And there is nothing else worth giving your life to. So stop it. And giving our lives to everything else. Paul says, I always thank God for you. He says, be thankful for this church. Paul always thanks God, no matter what, what the church is going on or how good or bad they are. He was thankful for the richness in Corinth. They, they were rich in speech and in knowledge. They were a charismatic church. They were very gifted. And to be honest, we could learn from that. We could be a little bit more expressive in our worship. And what's ironic here, though, he thanks God for these things that were actually causing some of their problems. Knowledge and speech is good, the, these miraculous gifts they had, but it was also part of their arrogance and division. So their strength was actually their weakness which is so true for many of us. I know that one of my strengths is straight talk. And my weakness is straight talk. Too blunt. Some of you have the ability to make money. That's a wonderful blessing. But there's a dark side to that. There's a, some of you are athletically gifted. Wonderful. But that can become a curse. Some of you are handsome and beautiful. It's a gift. And it can be a curse. In this letter, because they had these problems, Paul has to discipline them. He's going to get sarcastic with them. He's going to confront them. He's going to shame them. He's going to say, stop it. And yet he never ceases to be thankful for them. He says, I always, in verse 4, thank my <clears throat> God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. And I am thankful for this church. I, this church is a light to this community and to this world and to many people. I'm thankful for Zion, and I pray they'll do well. I'm thankful for Methodists. I'm thankful for the Catholics, St. John's. They are lights, and they all have problems. 
just like we do. The number one way to reach the world with the kingdom of God, it is a proven fact. The number one way is through planting churches. Les Evans, when he went to Japan, was there to plant churches. Lazarus Fish in Myanmar does many things, but the main thing he does is work with churches. When we wanted to reach New England, we went out there to start churches. There is no Jesus outreach without the church. And the way some people live, they don't need the church, and they think, well, I can live the Christian life without the church, and maybe you can for a while, but it will die. You take all the churches out of Mount Pulaski, and you watch what happens in 20 years. No light. Let me read one more testimony. This church means the world to me. The Sunday service gives me the will to accept life, the good and the bad. I feel I can face the week and what it brings. I am so thankful for our leaders and the board as it strives to keep us on track. I'm very thankful for the Tuesday church service at Vonderleet. The residents so need this. Thank goodness for the support of our youth, the encouragement for the next generation. She covers it all, Vonderleet and youth. So today I want you to ask yourself one question and be very honest with yourself on this. Do you love this church? Or if you're a visitor, do you love the church where you're part of? Not do you attend church. Not do you like church. Not do you respect the church. Do you love? See, when you love something, you will sacrifice and be committed to it. If you love God, if you claim to love God, you have to love His church. And if you honestly answer and say, I'm not there, here's the second question. What would it take? What do you need to change to make it a reality? If you're waiting for this church to become better and meet up to your standards, forget it. It ain't going to happen. We're going to have problems until eternity. Every church has problems, but the church is God's church, and if you love God, you have to love His church. So what will it take for you to get there? Is it a new way of praying, you know, praying for her, getting involved somehow, giving your time, sacrificing somewhat? Do you love God's church? Let's pray. God, it is all about you, and you and your ultimate wisdom formed the church, and you filled it with your grace, and I pray we will love your church as well. I pray we will be thankful for it. I pray you will hold us firm to the end so that we'll not get caught up in attaching ourselves to all the things of this world, all the idols that are around us. Living, we need to live for the bigger picture, Lord. So would you fill us and guide us and guard us and help us to live for you. In Jesus we pray this. Amen. Would you stand, please?